turn in your Bible to the book of Hosea, please. Hosea, H-O-S-E-A. If you have the right kind of Bible, it's on page 919. Now, I guess, I guess you know that I use the Schofield Reference Bible, and uh, you're welcome to use whatever Bible you want to use. I like this Bible very, very much and have used it for many years. When I went to the seminary, I heard them make fun of this. I'd never heard of the Bible, Schofield Reference Bible, never had one. So I bought one to see what they were making fun of, and I liked it. So I've been using it almost ever since. Page 919, Hosea, one of the minor prophets. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would move across all of our hearts, and everyone here would hear from the Lord, that the Spirit of Jesus would draw us close to his heart and help us to have hearts that are broken over the things that break the heart of God. We pray for those who are without Jesus, that thy Spirit would strive with their hearts and make clear the message of Christ. And may every believer rejoice, have his faith renewed today. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. We begin today a study of the book of Hosea, which we really began last Wednesday night when we looked at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Lord willing, we will go through this book the rest of this week, interrupting it briefly tonight as we hear the missionaries, the Platt team, who are missionaries in Germany, and they will be a blessing to us at the training hour this evening. I hope you will not miss that. It has occurred to me as I've read the prophets, including John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, that a lot of people today would not like hearing these men preach. If they should suddenly appear in 1994, walk across the pages of history once again, and herald their message in a similar way to the way they did years ago, there would be a lot of God's people who would be turned off. Some who would be pharisaical would say, they don't do it like the other preachers. They're not very gifted. They're not very oratorical. They're very, very plain and homespun. Some who would feel guilty of the sins they preached against would say, I don't like the way he preaches. He's too personal. He's meddling in my business. It's none of his affair. And I'm sure if some of God's people were in a position to do so, they would do to those prophets what the people of God did in the years gone by. Ridicule them, have them arrested, and put in prison. Now you would say, surely God's people wouldn't do that. That's exactly who the prophets were preaching to. If you'll notice carefully, they were not preaching to the nations. Now occasionally Amos did that, but he only did it in a cir circular way so he could move right in on the people of God in Judah and Israel. Basically, these prophets were preaching to the people who went to church, who said, we are God's people. 
And just as in that day they did not like it, there's some today who will not like it. But that's the way God does. He brings his message clearly to those who are his own. Because if there's ever to be revival, the revival has to start with God's people. It cannot start with the world. It must start with those who have known the Lord, who have confessed him as savior. And frequently, revival fires begin among young people. All through the ages, there have been young people, youth, especially in their teenage years, who have caught a glimpse of what God was trying to say and have been daring enough to say, we're going to do it God's way, not my way. Sometimes as we get older, we're so set in our ways that we think hearing that fresh message must not apply to us, it must be some new kind of thing. But young people, fresh in their enthusiasm and wanting a new approach, many times are willing to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's the seed of revival. We want to read the first chapter of Hosea. And all we'll have time today, this morning, is for just chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to the word. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Bereah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredom or harlotry, and children of whoredom or harlotry. For the land hath committed great harlotry, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, who conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, or warning. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, for you're not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. It shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, that it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, 
for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruama. Now that's a very interesting section of scripture. Notice first of all, the times in which Hosea preached. Hosea preached during the reigns of Uzziah from 787 to 735 BC, Jotham, who reigned from 749 to 734, Ahaz from 741 to 726, and Hezekiah, 726 to 697. In Israel, there was the reign of Jeroboam II, 790 to 749. Following him, there was a tragic declension in the ministry of the nation Israel, Zechariah, Shalom, Manahim, and Pekiah were the kings who ruled in quick succession, one murdering another, another ambushing another, and those kings went down and the northern nation Israel was defeated and overtaken by Assyria in the year 722 BC. Now the date of Hosea from about 760 to 710. He lived in those last days of Israel's history and across the border down in Judah, southern Judah, there were some good kings, Hezekiah one of them. And in those, in those kingdoms, there, were some, uh, there was some hope. Hosea and Amos uh, share some things in common. They were contemporaries. They wrote similar messages. Amos is the oldest book of preaching or sermons in existence today. Amos and Hosea preached against the similar sins. Isaiah and Micah were also their contemporaries and they preached during this same time. And it's possible that as a child, Hosea knew the man Jonah who had gone to Nineveh and preached there and seen the great revival take place. Now there was a continual battle in the hearts and minds of the nation Israel. Remember that Israel and Judah had divided about 950 BC. David had been the king. When he died, Solomon became the king. And then when Solomon died, the nation broke into two divisions. There was civil war. Rehoboam became king of the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Jeroboam became king of the 10 northern tribes, which was later called Israel or Samaria. Now Israel and Samaria, the north, Judah in the south, both of them went down the drain in wickedness. But the northern nation was more pronounced in their open rebellion against God. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Nedab, did more to hurt the cause of God than almost anyone else in Israel's history. So that the people would not have to go down to Judah and worship at Jerusalem at the temple, Jeroboam set up a temple in Samaria. Now he called it the temple to the Lord God, but he made a golden calf for the people to worship. And in reality, he was introducing to the nation Baal worship 
or paganism or heathendom. The prophets all railed against this, but they didn't pay any attention. They became vain in their materialism and their spendthriftness, and they went on and on and on in their decision to turn away from the worship of the Lord God. Now down in the South Country, there was some revival. There were some good kings. The prophets seemed to have a little bit more influence. But in the North, sometimes, for example, Amos would go up and preach at Bethel. And the religious leaders, now these were not the heathen, these were not the pagans, they were religious leaders who supposedly were worshiping the Lord God. They would say, Amos, you take your hillbilly message back down to the mountains of the south. You can't preach like this here. And so he would leave. Hosea was the most unusual of those prophets. God said, Hosea, I want you to do an unusual thing. You're in love with a girl named Gomer. She's not good for you. She's not going to be faithful to you. But because you love her so much and, and you want her, I'm going to permit you to go on and marry her. I will tell you in advance, she will be unfaithful to you. Now keep in mind that this was an allegory. Even though it was a historical truth, it was a fact. It actually happened. It was still an allegory on how God and the people of God dealt with each other. There comes a time when God steps back and says, all right, if you want it your way, I'm not going to intervene. Now, it's a terrible thing when God takes his hand off of you. It's an awful thing when God ceases to send preachers or prophets or somebody who cares about you to remind you to turn. It's a tragic when, tragedy when that happens. And God said, Hosea, I'm going to let you be an allegory to the people to show them how my heart is hurt when the people of God do what they want to do. They will have to suffer the consequences. Hosea, you love Gomer. You want to marry her. I've already warned you that she's not good for you. She will not be faithful to you. But if you insist, you can have her. And so the command of Scripture seems to be that God commanded Hosea to go on and marry Gomer. In reality, God was saying, you do what you want to do. And so Hosea took upon himself the great heartbreak of Gomer. Things seemed to go well for a while. A lot of times that happens in life. We do what we want to do. We have our own way. And God steps back and says, all right. And things seem to go good. Listen to this. Verse 2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land hath committed great harlotry, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, who conceived and bore him a son. Can you imagine how thrilled he was when that little boy was born to the home? And the Lord said, call his name Jezreel, 
which means warning. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. In other words, God says, says uh, your little boy that's born, I want you to call him Jezreel. I want to just be a reminder to you that there's coming a day when God will bring judgment. I'm warning you. And God was warning through this little boy, God was giving a warning to the people of Israel. And God was saying, Hosea, the only way the people, of, the people will ever understand is for, for them to see in human life someone who has the same heartbreak that God has. Now, there were people that loved Hosea. He had friends and family, and they were hurt that he had taken this wife, Gomer. They knew she would not be faithful to him. So it is today. God knows the unfaithfulness of God's people. And yet God permits us to go on and do what we do because God is a gentleman. He never forces his way on anybody. He never lassoes you and say, come, you've got to do it my way. God just gently knocks on our heart's door and he pleads with us and he calls us and he tugs at our heart. But if we'll not listen, then God just steps back and says, all right, go on. The theme of this book is the unfaithfulness of Israel as illustrated by the heartache that Hosea himself had. Let's go on for a moment. The first son was called Jezreel. Verse 5, and it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. In other words, I'm going to allow a heathen nation to come in and break the power of Samaria or of, nation, of the nation Israel. Verse 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. Now notice this time it does not say that this daughter belonged to Hosea. Those Bible students who have searched the scriptures diligently and have studied this carefully are of the opinion that this daughter was not Hosea's daughter. He said, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. I will utterly take them away, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword nor by battle, by horses nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami, or Lo-Ami, for you're not my people and I will not be your God. Notice the digression that's coming. First, Jezreel, just a warning. A warning that God will not forever tolerate and put up with our sins. Secondly, Lo Ruhama, I will not have mercy any longer. I've had mercy until I can't have mercy any longer. There's coming a day when God will have to cut us off and there will be the judgment that God has promised all along that he warned about. And then thirdly, the third child, again, not Hosea's child, Loami. 
And what God is saying is, Hosea, just as this is not your son, the people will no longer be my people. Now all these were warnings. And then in the same breath, in the same breath, almost at the same time, God said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I love the people. And so it's as almost, it's almost as if he adds a postscript, a PS, <clears throat> beginning in verse, verse uh, 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. He looks out beyond all the judgment, beyond all the heartache, beyond all the sinfulness. And he says, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said, you are not my people, it shall be said, you are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say unto your brethren Ami and to your sisters Rohama. What he is saying is after all the judgment and after all the indiscretion and after all the battles and after all the forsaking of ourselves by God and God standing back and saying do it your own way, God will move in and will call you again because God loves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the story that goes on and we'll be studying this week is the story how Gomer sold herself as a common prostitute. And finally one day she was being sold on the slave market of sin. And God said, uh, Hosea, you go over there and buy her back because you still love her. And when you bought her back, you set her aside to purify herself. And then you take her as your wife again. Now remember the allegorical connection. God is saying, I loved Israel. I loved the people of God. It broke my heart when they went away in adultery, spiritual adultery, when they became unfaithful, when they got so involved in materialism and secularism, and they forgot the commandments of the Lord. And they forgot that they were a peculiar people, a chosen nation, holy generation. They forgot all that and they went away. And I had to stand back and say, all right, go on in your sins. But I can't give you up. I love you. I will buy you back from the slave market of sin. And so in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, to buy back unto himself those who were his own. That's the story of the Bible. That God loves. And even though his heart is broken with our sin, God loves and breaks through and says, come come, come. But if you come, there'll have to be some repentance. 
a repentance toward God and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A repentance that leads to a change, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of directions that says, by the grace of God, I will arise and go back to my Father and home. And when we do that, God forgives and Christ receives. Now, how does that apply to us today? I want to give you four thoughts, and I'll be finished. Number one, sin is primarily against God and his love. The sin of Gomer was against the love of Hosea. If he hadn't loved her, it wouldn't be such severe sin. Beloved, if God doesn't love us, our sin wouldn't be so much against him. When we sin, we don't just sin against people. We don't just sin against ourselves. We don't just sin against our families. We sin against God. David committed a terrible sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had Uriah killed at the front of the battle. And then when the Holy Spirit convicted David, do you remember what he said? Remember he had hurt Bathsheba. He had hurt Uriah. He had hurt the nation. But he said, Lord, my sin is just against you. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Now, when you and I come to see our sins against God, we're not far from the kingdom of God. When we get to a point where we see that our negligence and our wickedness and our waywardness is against the Lord and we're willing to turn, God holds out his hand and says, come, 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 I love you. Remember, God never says, go, 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 I hate you. He says, come, come, come. Come with your sin. Come with your, dis your problems. Come with your faith. Come with your lack of faith. But come, and he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Secondly, sin brings destruction. Sin destroys our human life. Sin destroys our family. Sin destroys our character. Sin destroys our health. Sin destroys our nation. Sin is destructive. It's an awful, awful force that hurts. Nobody should ever treat sin lightly. If we ever get to a point where we're not shocked at sin any longer, something is radically wrong in our heart. One of the problems with America today, we have the same diagnosis that was true in the day of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said they can no longer blush. They're so used to sin, they no longer blush at it. And we're so used to sin today, we no longer blush. We're no longer shocked at it. Sin brings destruction. Thirdly, God's Word brings life. This wonderful Word of God brings life to everyone. If we just open it and read it and heed it or listen to it, God's Word brings life. It will bring life to you, whoever you are, wherever you are. And fourthly, there's a responsibility to God in accepting His warning. And if we'll accept His warning, 
we'll place our trust in the Lord, God will forgive. And where once he said, Lo, Ruhamah, you're not my people, he will say, Ruhamah, you are my people. Come. Now, what are we going to do with this message? What will we do with what God is saying through Hosea to us today? There are two applications. Number one, personally to our own lives. When we've sinned, what we need to do is acknowledge it and ask God to forgive us. He will have mercy. He will abundantly pardon. God is not some kind of sadist that tries to keep you down and push you down further and further. He wants to lift you up. He loves you. Sin brings a terrible penalty. But that penalty can be canceled by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses from all sin. And if we will come to Him with our sin and our stains, He will forgive and cleanse us. Secondly, there are people everywhere that need this message. They need to know that God loves them. There are folks that are going on and on and on away from the Lord. Deeper and deeper and darker into sin they're going, leaving God out of their lives. God has no one to go to them except you and me. We have the message that can give them eternal life. We need to get our own lives in shape first and then go after those who are without Christ. Could you today say, by the grace of God, that's what I'm going to do? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We ask that just now someone who is within the sound of our voice would open his heart to Jesus and say, by the grace of God, I want God to use me. In 1994, I want God to use me to tell that wonderful story of Jesus to others. Lord, here I am. I offer myself to thee to be used by God. Now, while we remain in prayer just a moment, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would accept that challenge and say, by the grace of God, I want God to use me this year. I want to ask him to use me to win lost people to Jesus. I want to ask God to speak to my heart and to have his way in my life. I want to ask you to get up from where you are and come and just kneel at this altar. And by that, say, I'm going to be used by God. I want the Lord to have his way in my life. I want to be a soul winner in 1994 for the glory of Christ. While we wait just a moment, is there someone that would come and just kneel here at this altar? Saying, God, give me the power and the strength. If you'll do that, I want to be used by the Lord. Would you come now? We're going to have prayer in a moment with these, and then I want to give each one of these who has come a little paper in which they can commit themselves and they'll keep it in their Bible.
This paper simply says, I will pray for lost souls on my heart. I will do my best to learn how to present the plan of salvation to the unsaved. I will do my best to be active in the soul winning program of my church. I am interested in becoming part of a soul winning class where we can learn more about soul winning. I will pray for and ask others to pray for and try to win the following people and a place for us to put the names of some that are on our hearts. I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and bind up that which was broken. Our Father, you see all of those of us who are gathered to this front altar, offering our lives to you in 1994 to be used by God. We ask you to use us for the glory of Jesus. Oh God, we don't love people like we need to. Break our hearts with the things that break the heart of God. Lord, cause us to be concerned and to say by the grace of God, I'm not gonna go through 1994 without influencing somebody to Jesus. I want you to use me. God grant that. Give us the power of God upon our lives, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be soul winners. We know that if we're to do that, we'll have to be confessed up and prayed up, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Lord, if there's anything in our heart that ought not to be there, look into it. Bring it to our remembrance so we might confess it and turn away from it and be what God wants us to be. In Jesus' name. Now let's all stand, the entire congregation stand, and the people that are at the front remain here a moment. I would ask two of our men to come and give one of these slips to everyone here.